What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for tuning in. I appreciate it. I took a little break, probably about 10, almost two weeks since I posted a podcast because it's been Black Friday. Been super busy with sales on F is in Frank and Frankie Collective. By the way, if you shopped our Black Friday Cyber Monday sale, thank you so much. Much appreciated. There was mad deals and uh, everyone came out and supported. So thanks again. Today's episode, I'm super stoked on. I have Alex James, the co-founder of Pleasures on the show. Obviously, it's a little different than uh, having a vintage dealer on the show because he is not one, although he used to be one. He got his roots in vintage clothing. And I want to start bringing more people like this on the show because there's a lot of people in fashion that started in the vintage game because the vintage game gives you a basis of all things fashion you learn throughout the history. Anyway, Alex James, he's a friend of mine. He spent a lot of time in the vintage scene in New York City, sold at the Brooklyn Flea. He's DJ, he's big in music, and now he owns Pleasures Brand. He started a very successful streetwear brand. I look up to him as a mentor. Yeah, it's a good one. Lots of good tidbits in here. We're just going to get into it today. No vintage news. So here we go. With no further ado, Alex James of Pleasures. show dude what's up what's up you're actually i'm really stoked to have you on the show i um you know we've been friends for a minute we've known each other for a long time you i was introduced to you through my brother jesse which i'm assuming you guys met what new york days right yeah i would say about 15 years ago um that's a long time it's a long time (laughs) um and i look up to you as somebody in the business that i can ask oh come on I, I well, I just you, I call you sometimes, and I like shoot you random business advice questions, and I appreciate you always being there for them for sure. Always, always, because uh, you know every, every day you learn something new, man. I've I've learned so much in the past, you know, decade. It's like it's changed my life dramatically. So, do you like throughout your time, and like obviously, I'm I'm gonna intro this so everyone knows what you're up to. But have you had a mentor? Have you ever like? worked with people on that level that have like guided you along your path? I would say, yeah. Um, my friend, uh, Michael Wynn, who we started a brand uh, called Thoroughcraft back in 2008. And he kind of just put me on the game, put me on how shoe production works, the ins and outs of business. I, I didn't know anything. I just had ideas, you know? Yeah. So Michael, Michael really kind of, 
steered me uh, to learn these things, uh, you know, a long time ago, and then kind of uh, just lear- learn with people in the process. You know what I'm saying? Like everybody learns from somewhere. You learned, uh, you know, from your older brother, dad, whatever. You know, yeah. Michael is kind of my dude that put me on the game. You know, that's awesome. Yeah, I want to throw it back now. So you're you're from you like we said, Jesse met you in New York days. Is that where you're originally from, or did you move from somewhere to New York? I am originally from New Jersey. Okay, you know, also a vintage mecca. Close <laughs> well, to the city, um, you know, New Jersey. What's up? Was it close to the city? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, you know, like a forty-five minute train ride away. Like it wasn't that far. Yeah. And um, I would say, yeah, we. I mean, I Jesse had a flea market back in the day, straight up. Yeah, so you used to, you used to sell vintage at the Brooklyn Flea, right? Yep, from the first inaugural season, that was like uh, New York Times presents Brooklyn Flea. I think the first one was uh, 2007. I think okay. that was the first first season of it, and it kind of spawned into this nationwide thing. But uh, you know, I was in there from uh, from from day one. It was cool. And how was that that, how did that happen? Because were you already you obviously were in the game. You obviously were like picking buying vintage beforehand, right? I was, I was, and then I uh, partnered up with a buddy of mine, Vintage Pimps, Mantagus, and he said, "Yo, let's put our you know collections together and sell at this flea market." And that's how I got started. So Vintage Pimps still in the game, right? He's still. He's still doing it. He still sends me, still sends me photos like, "Yo, look what I picked up." You know, he's got alternative uh, searching methods. You know, everybody's methods now are completely different than the way they used to be. Yeah, you know, oh, maybe for you it's different, but um, you know, for most of us, it's uh, it's a different ballgame now. It's a lot of digital stuff. You know, a lot of digital digging for sure. And like, I want to know how you. So you, Jesse, said that you were. Working with someone back in the day in New Jersey, correct? You had a partnership with the dealer, and you were running like a a vintage department. Is this correct? Yeah, so I used to work at a rag house. And how did and, that uh, happen? Uh, I was buying there. Somebody had connected me. I got some information, and then got connected, and they said, "Hey, you want a job? This person is leaving, uh, and and we need somebody to manage uh, some of these products." Urban Outfitters, uh, you know, Levi's, all this shit. So we're like, I said, y'all do it. And uh, came up on some cool shit in the process. It was a crazy big rag house in the middle of New Jersey. And uh, yeah, dude, it was fucking wild. Like finding like Hermes jackets and, you know, like thousand dollars of uh, singles and like a fucking pair of pants and like wild shit, you know, just, it was just crazy. You know, they had some great clients, you know, that uh, I worked with over the years and definitely was early, early, early on in the uh, in that scene for sure. Well, so back in these flea market days, Brooklyn Flea, I only went there once and I think it was a lot later than that. It must have been, geez, 2013, 14 was the first time I went to Brooklyn Flea. And um, like, what was your personal style back then when you started selling at this flea? And do you still keep some items from those early days of? being in vintage? Is there certain items that are like dear to your heart that you'll never let go? No, I'm not like that. Everything has a price. And, uh, you know, if somebody offers me the right price, I'll sell that shit. So that's the way I've kind of lived my, uh, you know, art for me, art works a little different, but clothes, 
Um, I'm always buy, sell, trade, all that shit. You know, um, yeah. no, I, I don't think I have. I don't think I have anything back then. But I'd like to say my style has evolved. You know, I was a, I was a streetwear goon back then. Uh, you know, and <laughs> I don't know. I would like to say it's evolved into a, a little bit more mature uh, statue uh, where I am now. You know, so yeah, for sure. So when you say streetwear goon, like we're talking New York. 2007 that's like supreme kind of day yeah but i was but i was just moving back from la so i was on like rogue status uh undefeated you know huff like all that like west coast shit because i was just living out here for two years and uh that was like mixing that with like the new york style with the fitteds and all that shit you know like yeah it was uh it was of a time, you know, it, it, it was of a time and it was like an amazing uh, era to live in New York City, party in New York City, sell vintage, fucking connect with people. It was, it was awesome. What was popping at the flea back then? Did you get Japanese customers coming through to buy from you? And like what? Early, early. So what, like, was, and what was the items? Like what was the, how is that different, you know, change from today in what's hot and what you sold back then? I mean, at the end of the day, the core is always still the t-shirt. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, you've came across so many t-shirts in your day. Like, so have I. At the end of the day, it's that one specific t-shirt, bootleg, from back in the day, parking lot shit, fucking... It's it's still the core t-shirt. And it's always, a for some reason, a black t-shirt, right? Like, yeah. I feel like if, if, any, if there's anything in my collection, it would be black t-shirt focused. Um, I've started... Know, like seeing an affinity for long sleeve t-shirts where I feel like sometimes those are overlooked and some of them the illest graphics because a lot of bands utilize the full real estate. Some of my like, favorites in my personal collection right now are long sleeves, like just yeah. odd versions of the same shirt, but long sleeves, you know? Yeah. And then, you know, you see like uh, Japanese trends change and like, you know, bigger styles are back, long sleeve styles are back, workwear is back. You know, it's been... It's been bubbling, but now it's it's fucking full on. Outerwear is on another level right now, you know. Yeah, totally. You obviously met Brian back in those days, Procell. Of course, of course. Uh, Brian in New Jersey back in the day, and he was doing doing similar stuff. He just had more of a uh, drive and a passion than I did. <laughs> Honestly, that's the truth. Do you guys still keep in touch pretty tight these days? Honestly, I haven't, I haven't spoken to him in a minute. Not over anything. I just haven't spoken to him. But, uh, you know, I see him on Instagram. He's killing it. it he, he's he's evolved into He's doing his thing, and it's awesome to see. It really is. Because you know what? If, if uh, he wasn't going to do it, somebody else was. And I, and I don't know if it's going to be at the level he's doing it. When I think of New York Vintage, I think of ProCell. It's like that store. You can't go in that store without finding something that like speaks to you on a different level. You're like... Something that you must have, you know? And I, and I appreciate all the stuff he's doing for the community. That's commendable, you know? Respect. Yeah, his program through all the uh, BLM um, protests was crazy. And I, I wanted to send him products. I'm like, what you're doing is nuts. It, it just didn't yeah, work it, out, it was, like, it, the, the logistics of it all. But I'm super commendable on that. For sure. Congrats on becoming a dad, by the way. Thank you. It's uh, I'm seven months in the game right now, and uh, it's fun, dude. It's like a new focus in life. 
I uh, really live every day to you know spend time with them. It's cool. It's it's oddly really great timing as well. And, and you know, life has slowed, so this is like a a, a new uh, focus, a new amazing uh, you know, I guess purpose in life. You know. Yeah, it is interesting because you basically had your kid seven months ago. So kind of beginning of COVID, kind of beginning of stay home life, which a new era for everyone. Interesting times, but kind of a silver lining, really. Like it's a bit of a blessing. You got a lot of time with your son at an early age, right? Correct. Uh, Learned a lot, you know, lots of uh, asking other people, people who are parents and you know, learning how to learning how to cook. I literally got a week off, or maybe I took two weeks off when my kids were born. But like having that time to chill. Yeah, it, it's like chill, learn how to relax and enjoy the time together. Because I don't think I would have had that opportunity. I was had a crazy, I had a crazy travel schedule set for Q1 and Q2 of this year, and. Um, yeah, obviously things change for the for for a reason, and I feel like that was a blessing in disguise, straight up. Yeah, that's wild, man. That's wild how like your whole all plans cut, travels cut. You got to stay home. I had a few friends. Even my sister had a baby actually during COVID, um, and she was like really scared at the beginning of it because just the fact of going to the hospital during that time, right? Yeah, but. Luckily, we had a hospital that was like pretty fucking empty and it was separate and uh, didn't really feel weird. It was just like a couple people just having babies on this giant empty floor and that was it, you know? Nice. Got a, got, got some food delivery, had the baby, got sushi night of, you know what I'm saying? Did it right. <laughs> it was good. Okay, I want to get into you working with brands now. So you worked with published brand for a long time. What was your what was your yes, position for, at Publish? You know, at first it was like marketing, and then uh, over the years worked my way into design and direction stuff like that, and an overall like uh, creative overarching uh, with Michael. And um, you know, again, learned about production, learned about all different types of sides of the business where I didn't know because before I only knew shoes. Uh, the prior gig, we learned about shoe production. This gig was about clothing production. And uh, yeah, that's what, it, that's what it was all about, dude. Making, yeah. speaking true to what Publish was at the time and uh, just creating product that was for everybody, you know, not just for a single group of streetwear focused people, but product that everybody can enjoy. And, you know, you were instrumental in bringing about the jogger pant. I don't know if you've talked about this enough, you're done with this subject, but I, it, it intrigues the shit out of me because it was such a phenomena of fact. It's one of those phenomena of faction that's like a, it's a epidemic where it goes so big, so fast. It's everywhere. Yeah. I mean, like, let's be real. Like, like it, it, there was definitely like brands in Australia and the UK and people were doing it. But I think, with us, when we did it, it was the timing of the sneakers, social media. Uh, you know, we were we were basically launching like new photos of like the Nike Fly Knit, like when they were coming out, paired with our pants, and those shoes completely fucking exploded. And uh, the like the LA everybody in the LA Clippers was wearing our pants, and they had the drama going on with the owner, how the owner was fucked up, said some shit. 
that he shouldn't have because he's a scumbag and they got, and he got kicked out. So they were on the news every day, rocking our shit. And it was kind of just all these things that happened at once and it just brought, brought it to the next level. That's so crazy. Yeah. Have you ever seen another sort of trend like that in your life and fashion? Yeah. I mean, always it's like the fucking, uh, the dad cap, you know, like uh, the fucking rug right now. The rug is having a wave. Everybody wants to make rugs. It's a fucking thing. You know, every every brand, every kid is like designing rugs because, you know, it's all going toward, you know, Alibaba production, right? Where it's like, I have an idea. I'm going to connect with somebody in the internet as a factory and they're going to make it for me. I'm going to put this idea into the atmosphere. And that's why the future of, to me, of Alibaba... <laughs> I sound like I fucking work for them, right? But I do have stock in Alibaba. But um, <laughs> the shit's popping. Alibaba is definitely the the future wave for you know one off designers who want to make stuff. That's so funny. I got a couple bucks in there myself, so we can pump it all day. <laughs> but yeah, it's true. It's doing good. It's doing good. You can have it. You can have your idea to fruition in like in like literally four weeks delivered sometimes. And you're right. People can just get in put their ideas out there to the world. And there's like very little barrier of entry when back in the day, you know, back when you were probably starting with these brands, like production takes months. They, they we're working out like 18, 24 months in advance, right? I know I still am, but yeah. you know, supplementing in between. Pleasures. Pleasures is killing it, dude. And I'm very Thank proud you. of you. And I've known you for the whole journey. You know, I don't know it in depth that well. So let's talk about it, dude. Like how did vintage and what you did in your in the past lead you into doing pleasures? And um, you obviously did it with a partner, right? Yeah. My, my good friend, Vlad, who obviously loves vintage too. Um, you know, we were basically tired of this like LA fucking party lifestyle. We both had girlfriends that lived in separate places, one in Vancouver and one in New York. And, uh, we said, dude, let's, let's put our energy towards something constructive versus just partying and doing drugs and bad things. And just like, you know, like let's, let's, let's focus. Right. Vlad had an opportunity with Edison Chen to launch our brand within a pop-up shop on June 6, 2015 with a bunch of other LA-based artists. And uh, we put together some ideas that I've you know, wanted to see for a while. And um, you know, it was an instant success from that pop-up shop and it left people wanting more. So we said, hey, we should pursue this and uh, obviously stuck with it pretty hardcore for the next five years. And this is where we're at today. How long from when you started that first pop-up till when you both went full-time, quit your day jobs? Did, you have a, did Vlad have a day job at the time? Uh, he did. He did. It was uh, more like consulting basis. So he had some free time. I um, was still working at Publish and I had left formally uh, June of 2017. So it took a solid two years to to build it up to the point where it's like, okay, um, I can support myself in this business. And I want to know, I want to talk about design because obviously you're big in music. You DJ, right? Yes. Go do that. Obviously not with COVID going on, but and you had a, you had a rich history in vintage clothing. 
do you, how does your design process go? And like, break it down for us. Like when you and your team work on stuff, do you sit in the boardroom and just shoot the shit? Do you like put up mood boards? Do you like, I want to understand this a little bit. Well, without giving away too much here, Drew. Uh, <laughs> no, it's just really just like, uh, there's no theme. There's no anything, you know, we we're like, I don't fake the funk. You know what I'm saying? Like I, our, our non-design is our design. Right. But I think and, no matter what you tell us, how you do it, you can't get in your head regardless. So it'll never. Of course. No, but I'm just saying like, like, like uh, we take the mentality of we're going to make what we all like without a theme, without anything. Obviously there's some project based things, but we go after concepts and ideas that we like versus then trying to like work under an overarching theme. When somebody says, Oh, my theme is about, you know, fucking uh, the zoo. And then I have to do all these different animal prints and this and that. It's like, no, nah, we don't operate like that. We just make what we feel is good for the time that's going to come out. Okay. Straight up. Well, so like, you know, yeah. like, like seasonal designing, but also ideas that are relevant now that could be graphics. Say, yo, just fucking put it out. What's the wait? Why, why do we have to wait? Let's just put it out. And, uh, you know, we, you know, obviously I have Frankie brand, we do mostly rework, but we have done some new projects and we, ha- we sit there and we hash out all these ideas and a lot of ideas get cut. We do graphics that get cut. And like what ha- that obviously happens with pleasure is you're cutting, you're cutting projects. You throw out a bunch of ideas. Some make it, some don't. Yes. Uh, it's, it's interesting, man. I, lo- I like this process. And I think it shows in your designs, in your graphics, in the stylings of pleasures, your, your music background and your vintage background. And I think that's super cool. So also, how is your, how is your, where you've lived, like your city influenced your design? Well, I mean, like, uh, I would have never made this brand in New York because there's like too much like, uh, you know, hater aid, too much competition in New York. When you move to LA, people are like, cool. I have a brand. I'm an artist. Uh, I'm a musician. Uh, I'm a fucking garbage man. I'm whatever, right? And everybody just kind of connects and it's just more free-spirited, more my vibe, you know? Like, um, LA is just very welcoming to the creative community where it's like, cool. Like, you make t-shirts, I make nail polish, let's do something, you know? Shit like that. It's just like, it's just an, the the barrier to entry and the welcomeness is uh, much more friendly in LA versus New York. I've uh, I felt that I feel that completely. I spend way more time in LA than New York. Of course, I've yep. literally only been to New York like handful of times in my adult life when it's necessary for business. And I love how you articulated it because I I have just felt that through my my life and travels and doing business. But you are right; it is way more welcoming. It is, and and I think it has to do a lot. You know, as cliche as cliche it is, but the the weather, the weed. People, you know, what I'm saying it's just much more lax. It's just much more like, you know, if you have that New York hustler mentality, but play the game in LA where you could be chill at the same time and still get shit done. And that's kind of our motto at the office. It's like, yo, we're working full ass days out here. Like, we're not, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like a nine to seven, nine to eight job every day, you know? So it's just like, if you put that mentality in there, so it's like a little bit of New York hustle mixed with the chillness and forwardness of LA. And I think that's a good mentality to, to work by. So by. 
like I guess it's kind of one of those things too. If it's if it's more cutthroat and not as accepting in New York, harder to make it possibly. But like when you do make it in New York, it's like you're up there. You're like crushing. Um, I don't know. I don't know because it's a lot of smoke and mirrors too with the internet now. You can look like you're crushing, but do you don't have anything tangible. It's just a bunch of ideas that you're putting forward, which I like too. Like the world doesn't need more fucking clothes. The world doesn't need more shit. The world needs like more uh, solutions, you know? So I, I appreciate a lot of these people who maybe make product that doesn't exist, that just exists on the internet to view and enjoy, you know? It's pretty cool. That's a good point. That's a very good point. Um, we don't need more products. And it is smoke and mirrors. And I talk about that a lot on the show. I'm like, some of these big brands and some of these people who you think are super successful could just be scraping by with the facade that they're doing big things or yep. um, you know, looking just fucking buying Ferraris or whatever they're doing. And um, the proof is in the pudding. And so as far as like you guys you know, what is in the future for you? How has COVID like affected your brand? Obviously you, you're, you, you do direct to consumer, but you sell to a lot of wholesale accounts, correct? Correct. Yeah. We sell to about 200 retailers around the world. You know, like there's, there's been a slight drop off in international just because that shit happens. And people saw this as a time to maybe readjust and drop brands who are, you know, maybe not as desirable, you know, luckily our sell through is really good with a lot of these retailers. So we've actually expanded uh, during this time. Nice. But, but um, you know, like for every person that maybe was losing income, there was a bunch of people getting free income uh, from the government. And they're like, well, fuck it. Like I'm not working and I got extra money. I'm going to stimulate the economy with the money I was supposed to use. So, I mean, we really haven't really skip the beat too much, honestly. I mean, not to uh, toot to our own horn, but we, we work hard and I think it uh, hasn't really affected us that much. The only thing it's affected is like working in the office, honestly. Yeah, which we just discussed and it's not so bad working from home when you got a little one. I know, but hey, I'm in the office today. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I'm literally home two weeks because Canada still has a mandated two-week quarantine and I was just in LA. So I'm on my second week mandate home and, and they threaten a $1 million fine if I leave. I saw that some dude was fucking around trying to cut through to get to Alaska and he got fined a bunch of money because he hung out too much in Canada. I don't know. I read yeah. that. I, I, they've, been, they've been throwing people on the news saying, you know, a couple of people went to an anti-mask rally. They were supposed to be on a mandated quarantine and they got busted at an anti-mask rally and they got slapped with the fine. Not trying to play around when there's a $1 million fine on the... Uh, no. And you know what? You live in a nice area up there. I personally wish that sometimes I lived in Canada. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Can't really complain. Yeah. So as far as like the pandemic affecting your business, you said it didn't really affect your business. What do you think the future of fashion in general is right now? Because I know it's... It's, it's put a divide, right? Like as far as the Amazonification of the world, certain companies got really uh, wealthy from it. And then a lot of like mom and pops are probably shutting down. Um, and you look at like department stores closing and things like that. Like how do you think the landscape of fashion and consumerism in general is going to be changing throughout this? Um, I think it's going to be, you know, uh, the human touch is kind of going out the window. The next generation doesn't really care that much about uh, 
humanization. They're more on a digital level, I feel like. So like, again, back to the Alibaba conversation, it's just going to be fully um, digital experience, you know, like uh, e-commerce, all that, you know, for, for a lot of the younger generation putting, wearing clothes on the internet is like wearing clothes in real life, you know? So it's just like, you know, you see way, your outfit gets seen way more when you put something on social media versus when you're around your city in real life, you know? So I think it's gotten to that level where the younger generation is more concerned with esports and digital image versus, uh, you know, going to a store and actually buying an item where they don't have to really do much and still be seen by the world and order it online. So essentially people staying home, buying stuff, buying it just to show it off online and then literally living their life in jogging pants because that's what you can do now. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, there is going to be a resurgence of formal wear once the world opens back up, you know, and there's lots of, you know, high-end brands that are going to that more formal route, you know, like uh, I've done some trend casting or trend forecasting over the years and, uh, this is my current one, which we obviously already see it happening. But you know, 2024 and beyond, people is going to be resurgence in more formal wear. You know, you already see it. Brands like Stussy and Supreme are making blazers and suit jackets and more formal wear. Sneaker kids are starting to wear shoes more. You know, it's there's gonna there's there's gonna be a shift, just not just yet. Interesting, interesting to hear. So. Obviously, with running a brand, there's like the WGSN that is a trend forecasting conglomerate. Is that what they're called? WGSN or something? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, like it's it's hard to even look at those kinds of things for a brand like Pleasures, I would imagine, because they're so like mass market generalized trend forecasting. Um, it's interesting to me how those companies can just kind of dictate the whole market. Like they've gotten so big at the trend forecasting that they can just put out what they're going to put out in their magazine. And you have every brand in the world kind of following along with it. Um, well, I think it starts, it starts mainly on a high end level, you know, and it's the way certain people are acting and dressing. And it's like, uh, you know, it doesn't start with streetwear, you know, it starts with, you know, super high end wear like it always has. You know, it starts on the the Prada, Raph Simmons, Gucci level and trickles down to everywhere else, you know? And it's always been like that. And it continues to be like that still, you know? So what do you think about Louis Vuitton and the skate shoe? I think it's cool. I think uh, you know, having gone to some of these fashion shows over the years and seeing the shift and the change, I think it's great. I think uh, Lucian is an ill fucking skateboarder. And I think Virgil gave him the sick alley-oop to uh, fucking put him on, dude. That's like, you know, he's been, you know, when you're in a position of power like that, you should put people on, you know? And I, and I think it's great. I think it's great. I agree with that. And how do you think it's going to play out in, in retail? Do you, do you know what this shoe is going to cost? Uh, it's probably be upwards of $1,000, but at the same time... It doesn't matter. It's the ideas and the atmosphere, and it's full. they already got their marketing out of it. You know what I'm saying? They look good. You're in a new, uh, you know, division of sports with a high end luxury brand. Uh, doesn't matter if the shoe sells one pair; it's already done what it needed to do. Yeah, interesting concept. Yeah. How, do you, how, do you, how do you think it affects, say, the the grandma generation of Louis Vuitton bag buyers? 
Do you think they care or do you think it's just whatever? They don't even know. I, I, no, I mean, like, I don't think they care. I just think like, okay, cool. Louis, Louis was progressive when I was, you know, heavy into it back in the day and they're keep progressing. If they didn't progress, it could become a stagnant brand, but they're not like that. They, they're, they're, they're visionary. They see what's going on. They see the future. You know, they see the way that people are connecting. You know, it's a, it's a smart company. You know, they're a, a, a great brand, you know, and they, they made a lot of smart moves over the years. Yeah, totally. They, they keep it, they're keeping current. So on the streetwear level, who do you think is doing it right right now out there in the streetwear world? I mean, I think we're doing a great job. Um, but besides us, I... <laughs> I like what Braindead's doing. You know, they've been around for a long time now, but they've definitely been making the right moves. They've been making cool shit. Um, I'm biased to my friend Mike Sherman, you know, because he's killing it too. I know you did a project with him. And, um, you know, he's building a uh, fantasy factory of people over at his space. And he's been putting out, you know, thoughtful product, right? Consistent, thoughtful. I love that you use the term fantasy factory because when I first got my warehouse, that was my inspiration, 100%. Yeah. Cool. What's what's in the future for Pleasures? Do you got any collabs coming up we can talk about? Yeah. I mean, like uh, we're announcing uh, our biggest collaboration uh, of this quarter uh, that comes out December 4th with ASICs. So we're announcing that tomorrow. Nice. And uh, I am an ASICs dude. I've loved ASICs for so long. And it's really an honor to have worked with them. This is the start of a partnership. We're so stoked about it. Fucking ASICs is just the technology, the comfort, the history. You know, to, to me, ASICs was the OG. ASICs, uh, that's who, you know, Phil Knight worked for back in the day. I have some ASICs on the floor yeah. right over in the corner right now. Yeah. Yeah. ASICs- Asics are, it's a great company that they, they, they let us do our thing. We filmed a commercial up in Vail, Colorado. Like I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about it. Nice. Um, Supreme Salt of Vanity Fair. The news came out just today. What it's do not, you think? Is it Vanity Fair? I thought it was VF. Well, I thought VF was Vanity Fair. Like Corp. I don't know. I think it's Vanity Fair. That's what I heard, but maybe not. It's VF Corp, but they own... They own a bunch of brands. They own Timberland, I read. They own, I don't know. They own a lot of brands anyway. Um, I think it's VF. I don't think it's Vanity Fair or something else. Okay. So regardless, they sold to VF. This is their second corporate buyout move, apparently, because they were already owned by some other like Asian conglomerate. Honestly, I'm not really checking for them like that. I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I, I, I'm like kind of tapped out. Uh I don't know. It's just not on my radar anymore. You know, like it's in a different stratosphere. You know, it's like it's like uh, it's a completely uh, different thing. You know, it's like it's on it's on like an Amazon, Nike level. I'm like checked out from it. You know? Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. So the vintage biz lately has been nuts, dude. I don't know if you've been been tapping into that at all. Have you? Yeah, I've been selling a few things on eBay, you know, grailed. But I've been buying a few things here and there, stuff that I've wanted. I've, I've traded for some stuff, just mainly T-shirts, you know? Yeah. The, the market since COVID has kind of boomed crazy. Um, prices are going like skyrocket on a lot of, a lot of stuff. 
which is fair enough. It's also kind of crazy how like certain other collectibles, Pokemon's going crazy. Baseball card or NBA cards are going nuts now. Baseball cards. Um, What are your thoughts on it? Like, do you think this is like just some kind of boom because everyone's just bored sitting around on their computers? Or you think this is like the way of the future here and kids are actually like investing in the future with this shit? I think it's a little combination of both. I think people are bored and I think people are just trying to level up. And I think the ultimate uh, sign of individuality is vintage because uh, in, a, in a world of mass market, and you can set yourself apart with something that's vintage because it's much harder for somebody to have the same shirt as you when it's that old, right? Yeah. So I think, uh, you know, I think... For me, we design our stuff as future vintage, meaning like, hey, I hope somebody finds this at a thrift store in 20 years. And that's kind of my answer to sustainability. We make product that is future vintage where somebody's going to be stoked on finding it in 20 years, you know? Yeah. So with that being said, I, I, for, for certain things, like a homie of mine said, yo... I got some Marvel tees. I got some shot ATs. And I said, well, I mean, I said, I don't know how much these things are going for. And he said, there's Marvel tee that I had for two G's, like full print Marvel comic. I'm like, damn, I didn't know it was like that. I had no idea. Yeah, totally. Crazy. Um, so I read, so, so basically looking at this, you know, StockX jumped in the game and they're doing baseball cards. Do you, do you think StockX will eventually jump into the vintage game and start to do like an authentication service and start to put put it on their system? Um, I don't think so because uh, all the all the stuff they sell is new product. They're not in that used game yet. But I don't know. I'm I don't know much about their business. I've sold a few things on the website, and my user experience was pretty good. It's pretty fast and efficient, but. I don't know if the customer, if their customer is into vintage. I don't know. Did you ever get word of Complex doing ComplexCon virtual? Yes. Do you and know I, much about that? I just heard when they were launching and having their original meetings about it. And I told them I wasn't interested because <laughs> um, I don't know. I just like, I don't know. We, we are participating in um, art in the streets digital art festival with a bunch of amazing artists. This is the first time we're seeing this, but we're doing a project with Eric Hayes, the infamous Hayes from New York city. So we're super stoked on that. Somebody that, uh, me and Vlad look up to a lot. It just adds to the, uh, allure and the, uh, history of the brand of working with this like iconic artist that we grew up loving, you know? So, that's so what is this? The digital, uh, uh, festival and art show is going to be, I think, the first week of December. And, um, you know, the art industry has been ongoing for the past decade and a half, and it's been all over the world, but it's just uh, something that, I don't know, it's still very relevant and very cool, and it was a sick opportunity. We would never link to them any other way. Uh, Complex Con Land, saw the email, looks kind of weak. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. I heard about it a long time ago. I just thought about it while we were on this topic, but um, I'm interested to see how that plays out. Yeah. Um, it's just so, so detached. It's like walking around virtually like a video game and buying sneakers from these drops on a virtual world. It's not far off from what people are already doing, you know, but... No, it's not. 
Um, so I read somewhere that you guys look at part of your main mission is to educate people, right? Through pleasure. Of, of course. So can you speak to that a bit? Like what, what is it you want to educate them on? Is it the art? Is it the music? I think it's everything, you know, it's like it first starts. Let's like um, when I was a kid, like I heard about music from the older kids in the grades ahead of me. Like when I first heard about Green Day, some kid was wearing a shirt with a piece of shit on it. And I was like, that's a cool shirt. And then I started to listen to the band and all these older kids put me on. And before you know, it, it's like, all right, I'm in 48. I'm totally on garage and I'm stoked, right? Yeah. Like that, that feeling that feeling when you go to the record store and you know it's not really a thing anymore as much but you know it's like that feeling of like discovery so it's like we want to put on this next generation through music art references things that we like you know and i think that's that's how you push forward it's like a lot of kids thought the joy division waves was just like a tumblr image they didn't know like no this is the music this is what it's about this exists because and kind of tell that story yeah, that's rad. Storytelling, I think, is super, super important. And you're right; it is put it, putting kids on because it's deeper than just the t-shirt. It's what it represents, and, and then it's it's uh, making that story go further. We have a huge project coming out next year. I can't announce it because uh, I'm not allowed to. But it's with the, uh, an amazing band from Manchester. Probably figure it out, but it's just this massive thing we've been working on for almost a year, and I'm really excited to see it come to fruition. Nice. So, what 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 advice do you have for the young kids out there? What final words do you want to leave them with? Like, what if you? If there's like a couple lessons you've learned in this whole uh, journey, starting your brand and getting to where you are now. I think uh, the best advice I could give, because I'm not really good at giving advice, but uh, is uh, don't pay attention to what other people are doing and just do uh, what you want to do. Stay true to your focus and just focus on your agenda at hand. And if you believe in it, other people will too. Uh, when you start to feel like it's a competition, then it's like it loses its fun. And you know, just try not to pay attention to uh, what, what other people are doing and just create what you want to create. Yeah, love it. I have, an, I have another question, actually, but it's I want to know, like, throughout, you know, in my business life, there's been so many ups and downs. There's been times when we're like, we're going to throw in the towel. This is fucked. This is not working out. And then we stick with it and then we have, we have a great year. And then, you know, ups and downs, man. How has the pleasure's journey been? How has the pleasure's journey been? And like, has there been like some, there's obviously ups and downs, but can you speak to any and like some hardships possibly? I mean, I mean, it's just like, you know, like uh, other people's creative input, you know, like I have a pretty strong vision and, you know, my team sometimes uh, barks back at me, my business partner barks back at me, like, but, uh, you know, and I think that's the hardest part is uh, getting, getting people to agree on uh, what you're making, what, what you're creating, you know, trying to sell your dream, your authenticity to your coworkers too. You know, it's like, yo, I think we should make this. Here's why. And when five people say no, and then you say, well, it's my company, so I'm going to make it anyway. But no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, you know, it's just like, you know, it's just like constructive criticism is always welcome. You know, like I appreciate that. You know, um, you know, some, some of my staff is in their early, early 20s. Um, I'm in mid 30s. 
And it's just like, all right, maybe I know that. You know, maybe I didn't see that meme. Maybe I'm not on fucking this message board as much as you are. You know, I don't know. But then there's sometimes you just know, you're like, no, this idea is what's up and we're doing it and that's it. <laughs> Experience. I mean, sometimes it's like, no, I know that, you know, you know, fashion victim did this print in fucking 1991. I'm not going to fucking rip this off because it's already been done type shit like that. You know, like, like we all reference vintage stuff, but at the same time, some people just blatantly go for it and you can't do that, you know? Yeah, for sure. And then how much of that, like when you do that, when you, well, you take inspo from stuff and someone like myself can see a lot of your inspo, which I love because that's the fun of knowing vintage and then knowing what brands are doing. But then there's so many of the young generation that don't get the references, but it just is cool to them. And do you think the reference, it matters a lot or is it just that the shirt is cool or the garment is cool? I think the garment's cool. If the message is right and timely, you know, it doesn't really matter where the, the reference is from, you know, it's like, you know, you have a shirt that says eat shit, but if the graphic is cool, people are going to be into it, you know, like, I don't know. It's just like, uh, it's really all how you, it really all comes down to, uh, to marketing too. It's like, how do you present it to the world? Are you taking a white background photo and are you just putting it on the floor and taking a photo or are you actually putting some thought into the creation of this garment, you know? Yeah, fully. So you, you said how your partner could bark back at you. We've had partners over the years. Jesse and me fight sometimes. How is the working relationship with your partner? Uh, right now, we're pretty good. You know, it's like uh, it's been uh, a year of ups and downs non-business-wise. But, uh, you know, we're ending on a strong note. We just had our Black Friday sale, so we're happy. And, uh, you just ran a Black you know, like sometimes already. you don't see eye to eye. Yeah, you got to get the money early, dude. Come on. Good call. And, um, <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, it's just like, uh, it's like being married, you know, you have to learn how to work with that person, you know? And I think that's, uh, you know, something learning every day. You have to be sensitive to other people's feelings while, you know, getting your point across as well. And, it, and it's a push and pull. Just being just harder, you know, being in business is even harder, you know. Fuck, you broke up there, Alex. Still there? Yeah, I'm here, but you broke up a bit. Oh. Sorry, can you say like the last sentences? Uh, I said, you know, being married is hard, but being in business with somebody is harder. True enough. No? Didn't work? No, we're good. We're good. Okay. Um, do you guys have a, a mission statement for pleasures? Or like some kind of... It kind of changes all the time, you know? I think right now the, the mission statement we've been using is uh, wearable expressions for an uncertain future. Meaning like we don't know what the next decade is going to happen, but we're making clothes that are expressive of where we want it to go and what we want it to represent. So that's, awesome. that's kind of, yeah, that's where we're at. So we're talking about how far you got to work ahead. You probably work, you probably already have some plans up to two years ahead, correct? Yeah. There's some footwear stuff that I'm working on for Q1 22. And when you do that, you know, you can't, 
you can't plan something two years ahead and then change it on the fly last minute. You know, you got to be pretty sure of yourself. But I guess the direction that you guys go is that you're not really, you're doing your own thing no matter what. So it's not following any, any relevant trends in, in, the, in the fashion world, I suppose. So it's kind of easier. And I guess it's, where does the confidence come from in like being able to be like, that's, that's what's hitting in two years for us? I think it's like when you have uh, people like Adidas and Doc Martens and all these people who see everything and see everything they made and they say, cool, this is different. We've never made anything like this. Then you feel good about your idea. We're like, all right, well, if you don't have plans to make anything like this, then let's put it out with us and uh, get, get some energy behind it. You know, it's like when we did a shoot with Doc Martens, they asked us to participate in their uh, 60th anniversary of their boot. And we were at the factory and this guy said he's been working there for, you know, 30 years, whatever. I said, did you guys ever split the boot? Like make like two different materials like down the center? And he's like, no, we never did it. I'm like, well, why not? He's like, I don't know. Nobody ever presented it to us. We made it. So if you make timeless, timeless uh, product, you know, it doesn't really have an expiration, you know? Yeah, totally. Um, do, has there been um, times when you've worked with a brand and the the visions have been so different that you like we got to cut this? You don't have to tell me who, but like, yeah, I mean, it actually happened today. We were trying to do a project with a friend's brand, and they're just uh, on a different level, different headspace, and they're just like, "Yo, this isn't working out." And we're like, "All right, cool, no hard feelings. We still love you guys." Yeah. You know, it's just like people have different creative vision and. You know, people just try to be as calculated and different as possible. Sometimes the shit works out, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, fair enough. But there's times when you got to call it, you got to walk. You know, they know when to hold them and know when to fold them, you know. And, I, and, and I've been pretty good for the past decade of uh, my timing. My timing's been pretty solid, you know. I agree, man. You are, in my eyes, at the top of the streetwear game right now. Appreciate what you guys are doing. Appreciate your answering my calls when I need some advice. Of course. Always. I got... Um, you got any last words you want to uh, share with the people? Shout out to uh, Jesse, Drew, the whole Evans and Frank uh, family, the vintage uh, OGs. Thank you. Uh, shout out to my staff for pleasures and uh, shout out to my newborn, Kiko. Kiko. All right. Doing yeah. it for Kiko. Uh, Yo, thanks again, dude. That was rad. Every day. Thanks for coming on. Hope you enjoyed that episode with Alex James. Thank you for tuning in as always. Please like this video. Please share it with your friends. Please leave us a comment. Please subscribe to the channel and all that shit. You know how it goes. Gotta plug the Patreon as always. You can support me on there, and I really appreciate it. But I'm going to give a shout-out to some new Patreon members here on the show. Okay. At Continuous Vintage. Go follow him. And at Thrift Store Betch. Okay? Go follow her. Thank you guys for joining the Patreon. For everyone else out there that hasn't yet, you know, this is a crazy business. You know, there's a lot of people in it. You probably have a lot of friends in it. But not a lot of people truly get together and talk about business. If you want to connect with people, if you want to join the Patreon, get access to the full mastermind group on Facebook, 
and uh, jump into our weekly or bi-weekly lives, then check out the Patreon. There's a lot of good value there. We're posting all the true tips and tricks of the biz. And you get to connect with us. You get to connect with me. All that stuff. And you get the shout out on the show. Okay? That's enough about the Patreon. Thanks again for tuning in. See you on the next one.